A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co/insomnia. I have got many questions from young moms about their children's sleep. For example, if our baby is only several months old, or one year old, or two year old, moms, dads always wonder how much sleep my baby should get. Should they take enough naps? If at night they cry, should I go to care for them, comfort them, or should I just leave them there and do my own thing so I don't reinforce the crying behavior? But if I do so, will that impact my baby's psychological development? As parent, what should I do exactly to help my baby to sleep well and grow into a healthy, happy human being in the future? Today, we are very happy to invite Dr. Nilong Vyas to share with us her expertise how to coach parents to help younger children, especially those aged from four months old to four years old, to sleep better. Dr. Vyas is a board-certified pediatrician and a mother of two beautiful boys, and she started her own business. Called Sleepless in Nola around 2014. She is a strong believer in the value of sleep for both the well-being of children and the parents. From good sleep comes good eaters, readers, and behaviors. It's the foundation of her whole practice, and she provides coach to parents all over the world through videos. An in-person visit to improve the children's sleep habits. What is really cool is that Dr. Vias was recently named the Woman in White Coats Hero for the year for 2019. Okay, parents with young babies, let's go to listen and find what her suggestions are. Welcome to Deep into Sleep with Dr. Ishan Xu. Let's improve sleep quality and live a healthy life together. Let's go deep into sleep. And now, please welcome your host, Ishan. Hello, everyone. This is Ishan. So today is such an honor for us to have Dr. Vias with us. Welcome, Dr. Vias. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be talking about sleep with you. Yes, I'm so excited too. I know you are child、uh, sleep specialist. What do you do in your practice? What kind of age group do you work with mostly? I am a pediatric sleep consultant, a pediatrician by training, and I left private practice six years ago to start my own、uh, business, helping parents how to teach their kids how to sleep through the night. And my most common client are infants and toddlers, as well as preschoolers. And the kids can range from age from four months to four years, and the most common presenting problems are typically、uh, multiple overnight wakeups, inability to fall asleep independently, as well as not staying in their rooms overnight. 
Um, I also help families with newborns to get the baby started on good sleep hygiene and habits from the get-go. Um, and I meet with these families either for a quick one-hour consultation on the phone or a three-hour consultation in their homes uh, if they're local, in person. If they're not, then via Skype or FaceTime and uh, talk with them in depth on how to solve their child's uh, sleep issues. Sometimes it's a quick fix and other times it involves a more intensive approach. But regardless of the type of consultation, I work with all of my families to help them establish a proper foundation of sleep based on the child's sleep cues, their developmental needs, as well as work with parents on gradually eliminating the associations the child has with falling asleep. Wow, that's great. And especially great that you are able to actually offer those kind of a, a consultation online that sounds like parents can really learn and benefit from some strategies, even if you are not there coaching them side by side. Exactly. Yeah. With this new technology of the internet and, uh, you know, live streaming and, mm -hmm. um, you know, all of the teleconferencing tools available, uh, I can pretty much go into their homes um, through the FaceTime app or Skype uh, or any of the other um, tools that are available. And that way I can not only have sort of a face-to-face -face conversation with them, but also see the child's room and offer suggestions as far as that's concerned as well. Wow, that's great. Regarding this age group, it's very young, sounds like, four months to four years old. Also, that's a big range from toddlers, infants, preschoolers. So is there any difference in their, their sleep uh, across different age? Like how long they need for sleep, how they sleep generally? Yeah, so the... Um the amount of time that a child should sleep for naps is about an hour and a half for all kids of all ages. So if they're napping, most likely it should be about an hour, hour and a half. Once toddlers start to consolidate their naps into just one nap for the day, that typically happens around two years of age, it can increase to a three hour nap. Uh, but what does vary from child to child is the amount of sleep or the number of naps a child should take based on their age group. So for example, newborns can sleep up to 20 hours a day, split up into hour, an hour, hour to an hour and a half naps, um, up to six naps a day. Whereas a child, uh, once they're about four to six months of age, they may have more wakeful periods and um, their naps decrease down to four to five naps a day. And after six months, it can drop down to three to four naps a day. And typically around 12 to 15 months or even up to 18 months, it can be just two naps a day. And after two years of age, it's just one nap, as I mentioned earlier. And then around three to six years, that's when napping typically stops for most kids. And, you know, this is a lot of numbers and a lot of information. And often it's hard for parents to know when that transitional stage happens, at what age and at what time the child should transition from four naps to three naps. Uh, or even down to one nap. Um, and that's where a sleep consultant can come in um, as, a, as a great tool to kind of guide them as to when to transition and how to transition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. All those numbers. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's very hard to remember. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I would assume a different child actually slightly different, right? Just a two-year-old uh, and another two-year-old, their nap may look differently. 
Yes, absolutely. Each child can vary. These are numbers based on general developmental uh, stages and milestones, and most kids typically fall into these timeframes. Of course, I've had uh, families where the 10-month-old was, you know, down to two naps, which isn't very typical, and I've had 18-month-olds taking three naps a day, which isn't very typical. So you are going to have these outliers, but for most kids, that's the uh, amount of naps that they need for their age range. And I think what's difficult is parents trying to juggle uh, the amount of sleep the child needs, plus trying to get through to activities that they want them to participate in and, you know, struggling with like life and societal pressures and, um, and then their actual developmental needs of how much sleep they need. And most kids need way more sleep than they're being offered. Mm, yes. And that's when it can get tricky. <laughs> right. So if a baby takes multiple naps during the day, so you mean like each nap should be about one and one half hours? Yes. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, when, when I tell most parents that during our initial consultation, um, they're always shocked. They're like, oh, my child can never do that. They've never slept that much in their life. And then after they go through the process, they're like, oh my gosh, I, I see that they are capable of sleeping that amount of time. And then they do sleep better. And when they wake up, they're happier and more alert and more able to interact with their environment because they're better rested. So mm. uh, I think the tendency is to, um, just in our society, just the uh, perception of you know, less sleep is better because you'll sleep enough when you die and you'll sleep enough when there's time for it. And there's too many other interesting things. I hear parents all the time say, my kid has so much FOMO. They, they want to be awake and alert and participating in all the activities. But um, it's during sleep that those neuronal connections get made and they, uh, the brain develops and uh, they learn what they're supposed to learn developmentally for their age uh, is during sleep. So it's super important to stress to parents that children need more sleep than they need activities. Um, mm. Yeah, that's so important message for parents to know, right? Children actually need more sleep than activities. Exactly. And I'm okay with just an hour nap if the child is waking up happy. But if they're waking up fussy, it's a good indication that they weren't quite ready to wake up. And many children have uh, wake-ups just after 45 minutes of sleep. And the problem that parents run into when this happens, they assume that, okay, the child woke up, so they're ready to be awake and they're done with the nap. Um, and they may go into the room and the child's crying potentially at first. And then upon seeing the mom or dad, they get happy. And so the parent just assumes that the nap is complete. But if kids are given the opportunity to get back to sleep on their own after a premature wake-up, which I consider 45 minutes or even an hour after uh, waking up, if they're waking up unhappy, that to me is considered a premature wake up. And they're more likely to make the transition into a longer nap time if given the opportunity. And that one change can help perpetuate, help prevent the perpetuation of just a 45 minute nap cycle, which, you know, like I said, I think is too short. Ah, I see. So actually, parents need to do a better job to understand the science behind it and really read the cues from the the, the children to exactly. see whether right they are happy exactly. or not. <laughs> exactly. And the child, it's so great that you brought up the word cues because that's 
the primary thing that I'm always stressing to parents is to pay attention to the cues because the child um, is telling the parent what they want when they're hungry, when they're sleepy. Uh, but it's difficult a lot of times for the parent to interpret or read those cues if they don't know what they're looking for, you know, because babies, um, you know, some kids don't even really speak until two years of age or speak understandably or, you know, sentences. And so for the first two years of the child's life, a lot of it is just guesswork, you know? So if um, the parents know what cues to look for, the child is communicating to them when they're hungry or when they're sleepy. So if the uh, parent knows what to look out for, they're more uh, likely going to be able to read those cues and figure out if the child is fussing because they're hungry or fussing because they're sleepy. Right, right. Wow. Yes. So I know a lot of young parents are really anxious uh, about whether they read the cue uh, correctly or how to help the child. And uh, I think uh, other than the parents you talk about, like they misread the cue and just uh, uh, think, oh, child totally wake up. Some other parents possibly are on the other extreme. Uh, they are very anxious. They feel like, well, the babies need sleep more, but they are not. How I can make them sleep more? Do those kind of behavior cause any problems for the child's sleep? Yeah, so p- kids are really good at picking up on parents' anxieties. And when they uh, the parents are anxious, it makes the kids anxious and it makes them difficult. It makes it difficult for them to relax and get to sleep. So if parents are aware of what those cues are, so I typically tell parents there's three uh, arenas of the cues, the early cues, the middle cues, and the late cues. And the early sleep cues are where this child is staring off into space and looking a little drowsy and kind of out of it. That's a good time to um, uh, start the sleep routine and get them into a place where they can sleep. The middle of the road cues can be where the child is rubbing their eyes or yawning. Some kids will pull on their ears or pull on their hair. Uh, you still have time. The parent still has time at that point to get the child uh, into a good sleep um, setting. Uh, so they're they're in an environment so that they can sleep. And then the late cues are where the child is like fidgety and fussy and wants to be picked up and wants to be put down and doesn't quite know what they want. And that you're you can still potentially put the child to sleep at that point, but you're veering on that later end of the spectrum where if you don't respond quick enough, the child could go into an alert period. So it's important to know what those cues are and pay attention to them and and notice when they happen. And they may happen a lot sooner than the parent is expecting it to happen. You know, it may happen just 90 minutes from when the child woke up. It may happen three hours from when the child woke up. But if the parent isn't uh, paying attention or looking out for those cues, they may just push through that cycle and then the child becomes overtired. So um, for the parents that are anxious, um, if they try to put their anxieties aside and say, you know, I'm just going to focus on what the child is telling me. Um, I think a lot of the anxieties come from that uncertainty of not knowing is the child sleepy? Is it, are they not sleepy? Are they hungry? Are they not hungry? You know, what's going on? The child's crying. So let me try feeding them. Okay. Let me, I I feed them and then they fall asleep. So maybe it was that they were hungry or maybe it was that they're sleepy. It's always this sort of guessing game. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's what gets parents in trouble um, because they aren't sure, quite sure what they're doing and how they're how to do it. So if if they follow the cues and they can say, oh, yeah, I saw him stare off into space and then he yawned. So I know that he's sleepy and forget the fact that it's just 30 minutes after they woke up or two and a half hours after they woke up. If they see those cues, then try to get the child to sleep when they see the cues. Mm. Wow, great. I think this is really helpful because of the three cues you, you mentioned, I think a lot of parents can really just look out for it. It's something easy to observe and um, now it can make sense to them. So you mentioned the nighttime routine. I'm wondering, uh, I know some parents may struggling, maybe struggling about, you know, put their children to, to bed at night, um, but some child possibly have a hard time to to fall asleep and some parents may spend hours trying to do that is there any bed routine uh, nighttime routine for younger child that you know they can sleep better easier and save the parents some time yeah so the the most important thing that parents need to focus on is establishing a consistent routine and having the same bedtime and same wake-up time. If uh, the timings are different every day, uh, that can affect um, how easily a child goes to sleep, and it's possible that the child is no longer sleepy when the parent decides that it's bedtime. So again, going back to the cues and making sure that the child is sleepy at that time and starting the bedtime routine within a reasonable amount of time so that the child is capable of going to sleep will help eliminate the two hours, you know, that sometimes it can take for a parent to put a child to sleep, Uh, especially toddlers. They're um, notorious for delaying bedtime with uh, multiple requests of drinking water or getting one more hug or one more kiss or going to the potty. So establishing a routine and and consistent bedtime um, and following cues are super important as well as establishing a really um, calming and soothing bedtime routine. So um, going in the room and turning down the lights, sitting on a rock or reading a book, singing a song. So all those things signal to the child that it's time to go to sleep and will also help delay the, um, the amount of time it t- can take a parent to put the child to sleep. Um, mm. So soothing routine, maintaining consistency, Uh, and following the cues are all important in minimizing the amount of time it can take for a parent to get a child to sleep. Yes, that's great. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned earlier about um, to let the child fall asleep on their own. And Mm -hmm. so I know um, some parents will want to check on the child. And uh, is there a good timing for parents to do that? And when they do that, you said the child sometimes gets happy to see the parents, but they're still sleepy. Where is the boundary or balance between parents checking on the child, put the child to sleep versus having the child to to go back to sleep by themselves? Yeah, so I think it's always good to check in on the child um, because it lets them know that the parent is there, they love them, they care, they don't feel abandoned, Um, but limit those check-ins to a couple minutes. You know, if you stay in the room uh, until the child is asleep and then sneak out, 
it can create a level of distrust and anxiety for the child. And when they wake up overnight and check their environment um, and that environment isn't the same as it was when they fell asleep, it again creates distrust and anxiety. So when you're putting a child to sleep, um, it's best after doing your routine, you put them in the crib or the bed and say, good night, I love you. It's time to go to sleep, see you in the morning and you leave. If they're fussing, it's fine to go in, offer comfort, rub their head, pat their chest, uh, let them know that you're there, that you love them, but it's time to go to sleep and leave. So even if it means going back in the room 20 times to check on them, I'm okay with that as long as the child is falling asleep independently. So that the problem comes in when the parent stays in there until the child is asleep and then sneaks out. Um, that's what causes the, um, or can cause the multiple wake-ups overnight where the child is waking to look for the parent. I see. Yes. So uh, the parents want to set a boundary, but also make it clear to the child that when the child is still awake to understand, I'm here for you, I love you, uh, to offer that sense of security, but they, they're just going to leave. And the child knows that and the child learns how to fall asleep uh, on their own. Exactly. Sort of, I always use the um, analogy of riding a bike. Uh, you know, if you were to hold on to your child as they're learning to ride a bike and never let go, they're never really go going to learn. But you know that when you let go, they're probably going to cry. They're going to be upset. They're going to be scared. They might fall. They might hurt themselves. But unless you let go, they're never going to be given that opportunity to, to ride on their own. So it's sort of the same with uh, sleeping is that you have to support them, hold the bike. You know, you can go in there and um, give them comfort uh, multiple times throughout the night as you're starting the process. But eventually you have to let go and let them do the last little bit on their own. Wow, I really like that analogy. That makes a lot of sense. That reminds me how I learned bicycle when I was young. Yeah, it's just something that parents have to do. You want to be there as a parent all the way and support the child, you know, forever. Uh, even once they're older and adults and married and have kids of their own, um, it, the parents, you know, feel like they have to, to be there to support mm -hmm. them. But at some point, um, multiple times for multiple things throughout their life, they're going to have to let go. And um, as far as the boundary setting that you're talking about, I don't think it um, impacts the, the bonding that the parent has with the child. If anything, it helps create a more secure um, relationship. Um, and for that, I use this um, bridge analogy. Uh, there's this almost 24 mile bridge uh, over water here in New Orleans. And they have, you know, short uh, rails that keep the car from falling over, obviously, but they're pretty short rails. So if the car does, you know, veer off to the right or left, it could fall over the rails. But multiple motorists drive on that bridge every day, knowing that those railings are there. But assume or imagine what a bridge, a 24-mile bridge, would look like without railings at all and how terrifying it would be to drive on that bridge, um, knowing that there's nothing there to kind of support you and keep you contained and, and as a boundary. And so I tell parents that all the time, like, kids need that boundary. It doesn't have to be a, a huge, tall, jail-like boundary. 
but they need small boundaries to know that they are contained, they feel secure, it helps them feel uh, more connected and um, have that sense of security with their parents when those boundaries are present. So, uh, and the same thing with sleeping, that boundary of you have your space, I have my space, um, and it is time to go to sleep um, it is a good, secure boundary. And, and if the family um, wants to have a family bed and have the child, once they're over two years of age, sleep in the bed with them and everyone sleeps great, that's totally fine. But it's when the parents can't sleep well or the child doesn't sleep well um, and the parents are just doing it because they don't want to set those boundaries is when it becomes a problem. And also when families are sleeping together in the same room um, and parent and children are expecting the parent to sleep with them, then the parent either has to go to bed at 7 p.m. when the child goes to bed so the child can get their 12 hours of sleep overnight. Or what typically ends up happening is the child stays awake until the parents go to bed at 9 or 10 or later. And so the child isn't getting as much sleep as they need to. Um, and the parents aren't getting their time to do the things they need to do to run a house or have time with their spouse um, or have some uh, time to themselves. Right. So I really like that because I think a lot of parents, not only for sleep, but for parenting in general, they would give in um, their boundaries to make the child happy, Mm, but end up the child feel more insecure. So it's always backfire. Yes, always backfires. Even in the moment when it can be difficult to say no, because you don't want to be the bad guy. The parent mm-hmm. doesn't want to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it it does end up backfiring. And and like I said, there's some days you do give in, and some days, that, of course, that's okay. But if as long as there is a consistent pattern, um, that's what's going to make the child feel more secure. Right. Not only the child feel more secure, the parents would have more personal time, possibly. <laughs> yeah. 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 And okay. A lot of families say, you know, well, I don't need personal time and I, I want to spend all my time with my child and that's okay too, but make sure that the child is getting what they need developmentally, which is, you know, like I said, they need about 12 hours of sleep overnight. So uh, unless a parent is willing to go to bed at 7 p.m. and wake up at 7 p.m., um, it, it may not be the best practice. Right. So also you just mentioned the child needs like 12 hours of sleep per night. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most kids until about uh, age six, uh, when they stop um, napping as, as much, uh, they can, they can also decrease the amount of overnight sleep that they need uh, down to 10 and a half hours. But prior to that, they need about 12 hours of overnight. Wow, so that's overnight sleep, and then plus the naps plus they're the taking. Naps. Wow, mm-hmm. okay. So they do need a lot of sleep. A lot of sleep, because they're developing and growing at such a rapid rate. And um, as I said before, during sleep is when all those neuronal connections occur. So uh, that's when you know the, the brain and the body is restoring itself and, and developing um, to the need of the child. So Sleep is super, super crucial. And there's so much research that's being done recently uh, that talks about the benefits of sleep uh, on children and their developing brain. 
Mm, great, great. Yes. So um, please feel free to offer me any of those papers. Uh, I can link them to the show note if any audience want to read more about that or there's any websites they can read. I can definitely put the information there. Okay. Yeah. So um, one of my friends actually asked me uh, once about this product called Snoo. Sounds like some device to help children to sleep better. I'm I'm not sure whether you heard about this product. What do yes. you think about it? <laughs> uh, I have mixed feelings about the Snoo. So let me start by saying I I love Dr. Harvey Karp. He's the developer of the Snoo's. And I used his five S's protocol of swaddling and side positioning, shushing and swinging, as well as sucking when my children were babies. And it saved us in that newborn phase when things are uh, taxing to, <laughs> to parents. Mm. And, you know, I personally uh, had a benefit from it. And I, did, I love that he developed something that uh, can help parents even more, especially those in the newborn um, phase, because that is such a difficult time for so many families. However, I think parents end up using it for too long past the six-month time frame. And more importantly, the child becomes so dependent on it or can become dependent on it. Um, and it becomes a hard habit to undo and even harder to transition the child out of it when they're too old or too heavy to continue its use. Mm. And um, I'm finding many of my clients that come to me are because they've used the snoo in the newborn period and now they're having a difficult time getting their child out of it and they're nearing the end of the use of the product. And so um, I'm finding that it's great in the beginning stages um, because it does help a lot of parents out in the most difficult time of parenting uh, when the child first comes home, but then it's hard to undo that effect. And there is a training mode on the snoo um, or like a gradual elimination mode to get the child unused to the, the rocking and the swinging and the, sh you know, all the features, the shushing. But um, in my experience with my clients, they're, they're having a difficult time eliminating it even using the, the training mode. So I would say it's, it's preferable to, to save that money because it is quite expensive and hire a sleep consultant because they will teach you how to get the child sleeping appropriately based on their developmental age uh, from the newborn stage such that those devices are not necessary. And you'll be setting the child up for good sleep forever because you'll learn the tips and tricks and tools needed to get the child moving through their developmental stages and getting the right amount of sleep that they need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so sounds like whether parents choose to use products like this to help or not is still always very important for them to learn the, the, the strategies behind the knowledge behind it to really understand what to do, um, how to help and guide the child and how to set boundaries, how to, you know, do all this, these things you just mentioned themselves. Yeah, because it's something they can use for the you know, the whole, their whole parenting mm -hmm. uh, time frame. you know, as the child develops and moves through developmental milestones, these tips will be beneficial and can be applied throughout the child's life rather than just in a snapshot of, of time. Yes, 
that this is great. I I like all this information you shared with us, and uh, um, after talking to you, I think personally, I definitely buy in the idea of hiring a you know sleep consultant to <laughs> help out. Since I I can imagine it's such a struggle and challenge. For a lot of families with、um, you know young babies, and I know a lot of a、uh, um, audience for our podcast who are moms,、uh, young moms are really look of, look forward to and waiting to hear more about this episode to to learn more. So I want to know if you know、um, people listen to this episode and they decide they want know more about your practice or they want、uh, talk to you how. Can they find you? Yeah, so they can go onto our website. It's、uh, sleeplessandnola.com, and、uh, complete a free consultation form. And、uh, it's a free fifteen-minute consultation, and I will personally speak with them to determine the specifics of their case and determine what package or plan would be best for them. As I said before, some parents,、uh, depending on their situation, may do fine with just an hour. A phone consultation, and others may need the three-hour in-home,、um, either Skype, FaceTime, or local、uh, consultation,、uh, where we discuss how to work to gradually eliminate the associations the child has with falling asleep. So, if they go to the website www.sleeplessandnola.com and fill out a consultation form,、uh, I will meet with them personally, and then we'll decide which plan or package would be best for them. They can also follow me. On Facebook at Sleepless in Nola, or on I'm also on Instagram and LinkedIn. I have a group on Facebook called the Sleepless in Nola Sleep Alliance, and it's a group of、uh, parents, and they come on and discuss their sleep issues. And other parents can respond to their questions, as well as、um, I sometimes get on there and respond to their questions as well. So it's a great forum for parents to. Uh, join and、um, get their questions answered, and have a, a sort of community of other parents going through similar things. Oh, that's great to know. Great, I will get all these、uh, links and information from you later and put them on the show notes. So,、okay. yeah, other than people just talking to this and finding your website, they can also go to the show notes and to click through those links. And to find more about your website, your groups, your social media platforms, to to、um, get in touch with you. Sounds great. Great. Thank you very much for coming to the show. I really like all the information you share. I think they really can benefit the parents a lot. Great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This is my conversation with Dr. Vias. For parents who are listening to this show, do you find these tips and her suggestions helpful? If you want to find out more about her service, please go to her website at sleeplessnola.com, and I will put her website on my show note. Also, you can find the whole show note at our website at deepintosleep.co/episode/slash. Zero two nine. Welcome any questions, comments, feedback, and if you want to listen to any other experts in this field, please feel free to let me know too. If you have children who are older than four years old, 
who are between the age between four years old and ten years old. And if you want to learn more how to coach that age group to sleep better, please revisit our previous episode, episode eighteen and nineteen, with Dr. Schneeberg from Yale University, and she talked in details about how to help school-aged children and teenagers to sleep better. You are welcome to subscribe our newsletter to get the most updated information about our show and other sleep tips. And our website again is deepintosleep.co. Thank you very much. I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk, and our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who is struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co. Or slash insomnia.